Welcome to Slaying It with Santa Rob, episode 34. This is the first episode of the brand new year. And uh, we're just going to dive right into this. I wanted to kick off uh, the, the new year with a really special guest. So I contacted a guy that I met about 20, almost, well, it's been 24 years, almost 24 years ago. I met him in Parsippany, New Jersey at the very first Striper Expo. And uh, we've been friends pretty much ever since. He's uh, an amazing keyboard player. He's a wonderful singer. He is one of the top uh, tribute uh, Elton John tribute artists in the country. He's the original touring keyboard player for the band Striper. Welcome to Slaying It with Santa Rob, Mr. Kenny Metcalf. Kenny, can you hear me? Hey, it's been a while. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, you are the first interview that I'm getting to do on uh, the new year. Wow, I'm honored. Thank you very much. And I've been trying to hook up with you for, well, ever since I started doing this. So I'm, I'm happy we're finally able to do it today. Yeah, thank you. I, I, and I've been on the road so much, it's been very difficult. But at the same time, it's like of all days, I got back and uh, from New Year's Eve that I was performing for. And now I got a sinus infection and I'm all congested and coughing. So I'll try to keep that as a minimal if I can. Oh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're fine. Well, I mean... <clears throat> You, you, you're you're spoiled, okay? Come on, you live in California. You spent you spent New Year's, according to Facebook, in Florida. You know, I, I'm I'm freezing here in Indianapolis, so boo hoo. Yeah, well, it was it was the people coughing on the plane, you know, okay. that got. I mean, on the way up there, I I would imagine because it takes a few days to you know get nailed with it, and then of course, uh, you know, uh, yesterday morning flying back at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning east coast time i started sneezing and it's like the first anytime i start sneezing i know something's coming yeah well, sure enough man but well, it's okay i'm grateful to be online with you so so for everybody who doesn't know i'm on the phone right now with kenny metcalf and you might know know kenny for a couple of reasons <clears throat> he's he's like the number one elton john tribute artist in the world I like to brag on that. So the world, I said, but well, you know, I got that title from Mark Cuban and Ryan Seacrest, the world's greatest tribute bands, their TV show. They put me oh. on it twice. So they gave me that title. It's not self-proclaimed. And I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Well, you're, you're, you're awesome, dude. But a lot of my fans are, are classic rock junkies. So a lot of people know you or don't know you as the original touring keyboard player for Striper. Did I do that? I'm getting older. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm no, I'm kidding. I, yes, I, I, I believe did. so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my gosh. Yes. Those were the days. We're going back to 1985 for that. If I, if I, uh, memory serves me correct. Yeah. When I was touring with them. Yeah. The first tour was, uh, 85 and then, uh, the second tour was 86. So give us a little history on how you got involved with music and, and mo more so how you got involved with Striper. Well, I, um, I was watching uh, Ed Sullivan when the Beatles first came on 
<laughs> that that and, seems to uh, be an ongoing thing for all musicians, I think. Yes, and uh, <laughs> from there, I just I just wanted to be a I wanted to be a musician, and uh, so I started playing drums when I was five years old, and uh, I played drums until I was a freshman in high school, and um, the one thing that I always had a passion for was being able to sing and uh, sing to girls and stuff like that. And you can't really sing to girls over a drum set. You just can't serenade a girl over the drums. So it's just too noisy. And uh, so anyways, uh, especially if they came to my house and I was rehearsing, you know, girls back in those days, they were kind enough to stand there and watch you for a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, and, but they didn't hear the melody going through your head as you're playing. Right. Number one, you know, and so, you know, um, after a while there, you know, in your singing or you got the, you know, I'm hearing the, I'm hearing the melody and everything I'm doing, I'm thinking it's just great. And, uh, but anyway, so that was, that was like a deciding factor in my freshman year in high school. Uh, <clears throat> I was, uh, I was actually going to buy uh, a double kick, clear blue acrylic, uh, Ludwig drum kit. And, uh, in my freshman year and um while i was in class theater in the round drama musical theater stuff like that um a, a junior classmate walks into the room and he started playing bending the jets on the piano and every girl in the place got up and went around that piano and he and they were singing and i looked at my best friend michael Ferlita, who if anybody out there really wants to look him up he is the world's greatest Cat Stevens, and I'm not lying. He always sounded like Cat, naturally, seriously. And uh, so we built a show around him, and uh, it's just, he's phenomenal. But what are the chances that two, two guys would meet in their freshman year in high school? One would be considered the world's greatest, you know, Elton John, and one would be considered the world's greatest Cat Stevens. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, but we were songwriters together for years. And so anyways, but I had a history of where my uh, great, my mother's uh, uncle. So he was my great uncle. He, uh, he played with Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, the big bands. Sweet. And uh, so they would come to town and they'd pick him up. They didn't take everybody with them all the time. So he'd be one of those that when they came to this portion of the country, the West Coast, they would pick him up. And uh, so he, he played for them. And um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, it, you know. That was a musical history for me that was there. And then uh, growing up, my cousins played music and they all had music, the instruments around them. My great or my grandmother, she would play an organ and at her house. Uh, my mother picked up the piano at one point and started. Uh, she took lessons for a short period of time and then she just started teaching herself to read and stuff. So. When all this happened in my freshman year, that's where um, I, uh, my mother had just bought a piano. She had an upright. And so I went home after watching all those girls go around the piano, and I just started teaching myself to play. I'm self-taught, played okay. by ear. And for the first, I think, probably five to seven years, I didn't know what key I was playing in on anything um, because I could just hear it and figure it out. And so it started getting uh, different bands I was with. It started getting um, a little complicated with them because they they'd say, "Well, we're um, we're going to do this song in the key of C," and I go, well, "What's that?" <laughs>
Okay. And, but I mean, it was like, they would go, you're kidding me. You've been playing all these songs. How do you learn these? I, go, I just hear them and I sound it out. And they were, they were blown away. Well, all those years go by forget about that. And I'm touring with a Billy Joel uh, tribute. And we're doing the Elton John face to face show. And I, I said, Hey, this is going to be in the key of whatever. And he goes, what, what's that? <laughs> and it was like, he's playing all this amazing Billy Joel stuff. And then I realized my wife says, Kenny, you were like that. So I had to teach myself to read music. So by the time I was playing with Striper in 19, I actually started in 84. We played Magic Mountain. And uh, no, maybe it was 85. I don't remember. <laughs> but anyways, um, I, had, I made myself understand what chords were. Okay. So I went in and did that. I looked at notes. I used to be able to read notes when it came to drums, but there, the drum musical notes are completely different from anything else. So anyway, so I, you know, I taught myself to read chords, figure out what they were. And then, uh, you know, made my way through so I could, somebody could say we're in the key of C and I could just jam with them and just play. So, um, anyways, all these years go by, um, for me, if I can't figure out something right away, I might try to look up a chord chart real quick on some of Elton's stuff. Uh, just to give me a jump start into the right chord. But most of those are wrong <laughs> that they have on, on the internet and, you know, and all these different uh, tab charts and stuff like that. They're close, but they're wrong. They miss a lot of stuff, but my ear hears the right tones. And mm-hmm. so anyway, so when I took up playing Elton's music um, and I'm ju- I'm jumped ahead a little bit, but when I did that, it made me a better piano player because the inversions that he uses are the tonal textures of a chord as opposed to say, playing a, a C chord in the first uh, version of it, you know, which would be a C and E and a G um, anyways, uh, you know, instead of an E, a G and a C or a G C and an E uh, the different, those are it's still the same chord, but the sound is different in the tonal texture, which, you know, when I first started doing Elton's music, they, um, if I didn't play the right inversion, the chord was right, but it just didn't feel right. And I started hearing these and I started learning uh, his patterns. He started to understand, made me such a better piano player. Um, but I mean, back in the day uh, when uh, the whole thing was Striper, all that happened, you know, um, before Striper, <laughs> I, w- I had a band and we were called Amulet. And uh, my guitar player, Mark Servi, named the band. And um, anyway, so Mark... Uh, he, he was my guitar player for years. He used to jam with uh, Anthony Cortez, who was originally our original guitar player for the Elton John show. But okay. he was a school teacher and he couldn't get away from school and everything started happening so fast that he backed out. But now he's coming in all these years later, 13 years later, and uh, he's going to be a, a substitute and get to do what, uh, you know, I wanted him to be a part of it from the beginning. But Mark Servi came onto the show. Um, he, I think he was the second version of the band playing guitar for me. He's passed on since, uh, since then. But, uh, but I mean, Mark Servi and Anthony Cortez, both those guys played with, um, um, uh, ran, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, it'll come back to me and I'll, I'll pitch it back in, but he's the guitar player for, uh, McCartney. He, okay. uh, yeah, he, he played with Evanescence and uh, McCartney heard him on that album and he brought him in and he's been his guitar player for the last 20 years now. Wow. Uh, but, th- but, but these guys were all the guys that I grew up around and they were all playing together. So in 1977, the La Mirada Theater uh, 
they had taken an, a walk-in theater and they recreated it and made it into a performing arts center. And so grand opening to get the, the people to come, okay, to the, to the venue was a talent show. And my mother said, why don't you try out for that? It's a 1200 seater. And so I thought, all right, let's do that. So I, I wrote a song, me and Mike Forlita wrote a song and we threw a band together. Uh, Mark Servey was in the band. Um, the original drummer hadn't been in the band yet. And um, so anyway, so I, I grabbed a friend out of high school, played with us. But that night, we <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Excuse me. So that, that night we played. Um, the, um, there was another band that had auditioned. You know, we're all young kids. I was 18 at the time. And um, so anyways, to play in this venue was just amazing. You know, opening night of the venue. So hang on, I'm going to have a sip of tea. Try to calm my bronchial down. There we go. So anyways, um, the, um, here's the irony. So we didn't want to be known as Amulet in case we screwed it up. So we went on as the OTW band. The OTW yeah. band was off the wall. That's what it okay. stood for. Okay. And, <laughs> excuse me. So um, there was another band that had auditioned. So we found out, hey, there's another band. So it's like a battle of the bands, even though it was a talent competition. And so by holding a talent show, the whole city came out because their kids were all in it, okay. their families. And so that's how they broke in to uh, get people out there. Well, um, my band, we wrote an original called We're On Our Way. We made it if our friends could see us now. And it was kind of a ripoff off the idea of uh, um, Boston's song. We were just another band out of Boston. Oh, sure. You know? Rock and roll band. So, yeah, rock and roll band. So the idea, I mean, it didn't sound like theirs, but the storyline, we were telling our story. Okay. So, so we're on our way. We made it if our friends could see us now. And the other band that came on and played, and you probably might have even gotten a copy of this way back, but they played Johnny Be Good. And the lead singer was 14 years old. So okay. the band, my band was the OTW band. And I remember my, the members of my band got so mad when the guy introduced us as the Ken Metcalf band. And, oh. uh, and it was like, they looked at me before the curtain went up. I was like, I didn't have anything to do with that. You know? And, and so anyways, we did that part. But the other band uh, was the Firestorm band. Well, the okay. Firestorm band, when he introduced it, Robert Sweet and the Firestorm band. <laughs> and uh, they had Dean. Um, what's Dean's last name? Uh, I'm throwing a blank right now. Um, hang on. I'm going to look it up. So, But anyways, Robert Sweet, uh, he, he, he was wearing platform shoes, kind of like, uh, you know, the lead singer on, uh, you know, um, the guys that sang White Punks on Dope. Oh, yeah. Okay. like The Tubes. The Tubes. Yeah, whatever the guy's name was. But Robert's playing, you know, in these platform shoes, a white satin outfit. And uh, and that anyways, his kid brother uh, was was in the band. And Dean Cerny was the bass player for that show. So uh, anyways, um, they're all still friends to this day. But anyways, Michael came out and he sang Johnny Be Good at age uh, 14. And I have the original recording that my mother had a cassette player, the long kind with the big buttons on the bottom. Yeah. And I took, I took it and I remastered it and I sold 20 copies of it. Um, probably 20 years ago on uh, just as a minimal release thing, because I owned the rights to that recording. 
And so anyways, uh, but that's where we first met. And then within about a year or so, they moved in on the same street that I lived on. Okay. And uh, so you're all in Orange County. Yeah. Well, La Mirada, border of Orange County. Okay. So, so anyways, um, that's where, uh, that's where we met though, was at the show. And then they moved on my block and let's see, uh, I was 78. I was already out of high school. And so I was partying and doing the thing with Amulet and doing all the wrong things and, you know, messing my life up and they saw it. And then all of a sudden one day, you know, they saw the change, you know, in me. And that's where, uh, you know, Janice Sweet, Michael Sweet has said it in books and different things. It's like he wasn't the same guy, you know, something had happened. And so Janice would encourage me to go in the garage and share Christ with them. And so uh, they were rehearsing, but it was just Robert and Michael at the time. And I think they had somebody else in there at the, at the time, but those players kind of came and gone because they were rocks. And then they mm-hmm. went from rocks to rocks regime. Right. And so anyways, um, Oz doesn't remember this part of the story, but it really did happen that while I was witnessing to them and it already half a year had gone by probably, or maybe a little less, but (laughs) excuse me, excuse me. (coughs) Anyways, during that time I was working, uh, um, my firstborn Charlene uh, was on her way and I, I needed a job and I got this job selling auto parts and right next door to that, that auto parts warehouse was, um, uh, Intenge and they sold, uh, stuff to restaurants, pots and pans, things like that. Well, there was a guy in there, Richard Martinez, and he was working there, but I was witnessing to, uh, the boys, you know, Robert and Michael and sharing Christ with them. And then I'd see Oz every day and he'd be standing outside or sitting outside on his lunch. He'd be practicing his guitar and I would share Christ with him. And so anyways, one day he goes, Hey, I'm going to go uh, audition for these brothers, these guys I know. And uh, so the next day I go, how did it go? And he says, yeah, I'm in the band. I was like, well, that's really great. He didn't tell me who they were. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. So anyways, um, I walk in one day and to, to witness to Robert and, you know, keep sharing what God would put on my heart. Cause God gave me prophetic things for them. And they all came to pass. Let me tell you, everything came to pass. The things that I would share with them. And I walked in one day and Oz was there and I go, is this the band you were talking about? He goes, yeah, dude, you know them. And, and so that really happened. Tim wasn't in the picture yet either. Okay. So anyways, they were rehearsing and then, you know, season of time goes by and God would still give me things. And I'd go and I'd share that with them. It was scripture and it was something that was timely. And so um, anyways, um, the day came where God put it on my heart to go tell them you're for me or you're against me. Choose this day who you will serve. And that was the day that Oz and Michael and Robert knelt down and I led them in a, a prayer and they accepted Christ. So, so after that happened, um, it's just amazing how, how it happened. But then Robert, they needed a bass player and they, and Robert had always been following Timmy and Mm -hmm. and Timmy was in Stormer out here. And so anyways, he saw one day that Tim wasn't in the pictures anymore. So he got a hold of him and Tim had just gotten saved, uh, because, uh, Michael Guido was witnessing to him. 
Oh, wow. And so, and so anyways, so uh, they connected. And the next thing you know, there's this like union of people. And uh, they became Striper. Uh, and actually, they had already gone in as Rock's Regime and recorded their album with uh, uh, Enigma. But then they got saved. So they went back and rewrote all the lyrics. And one day, and, and for Wes Hines to, you know, just go with that, they're on the same label at that time as Rat and Motley Crue. And uh, so I think Poison might have even been on there. I'm not sure. Um, but anyways, you know, it was that season and they were all clubbing and they were all playing on the same stages at the same time together. So uh, Wes Hines went along with it, let them do it. They changed, they, you know, so they rewrote the lyrics, which he, you know, he'd never seen anything like that ever and didn't know how it was going to react. And <clears throat> so anyways, um, uh I was in the garage with Robert one day in their, you know, where they rehearsed and stuff. And uh, it was like three feet deep of uh, on every wall for soundproofing, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, Robert's drums are booming and you could still hear them, but it wasn't as loud. And uh, anyways, my neighborhood, they were used to hearing drums because when I was a kid playing every Saturday morning at eight o'clock, man, in my garage, I'd start playing drums for the next six hours. And so my neighbors were woken up every day to drums. So now I'm, I, they were thrilled when I became a piano player. I bet. So, so anyways, then Robert moved in six houses down, five houses down from me. And so, uh, so, yeah. So anyways, so they're in there and they're rehearsing. And, uh, I, I came in the one day and Robert's looking up and he, he uh, he shows me his new logo and the logo wasn't refined yet. Okay. And uh, he goes, it's it's Striper. And uh, so they started calling themselves Striper and uh, because it rhymed with hyper. And of course, all of everything was yellow and black because it was caution colors. And Robert did all that. But the day that Robert got the acronym for Striper, I was there with him when it happened. <laughs> and I remember him looking up and he went salvation through redemption, yielding peace, encouragement and righteousness. And then he wrote it down, you know, and that became uh, the acronym for the band. Isaiah 53, five didn't come in until a little bit later. So, <clears throat> so anyways, um, I was there during that. And then they start, you know, they're out and they're playing clubs and stuff. And this lady, uh, she comes along because uh, uh, her uh, pastor wanted to disprove them. And so she went out and saw them play and the power of God hit her and she went back to him. I think his name was Gary Greenwald. Um, but anyways, he had, he had like the Eagle's Nest, a church out here. If I got his name wrong, his last name, uh, don't, don't shoot the messenger here. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it was the Eagle's Nest. And she came back and she goes, no, these guys are honest. They are the real deal. And uh, so anyways, uh, God was really behind them and doing that. And then in that process, for the first year or two, man, I, I would just, I'd go, I'm an evangelist. So I would go out and I would uh, interview uh, or not interview. I'd go out and I'd, I'd be witnessing to kids, but they were all into metal at the time. And so Robert would give me demo tapes. He'd give me, you know, cassettes. He'd give me t-shirts as they started merchandising. And uh, I used to give that away. I'd just go out and I'd give it away. And Robert would say, you know what? I really feel like you're supposed to be on the road with us and play keyboards for us. So my dad, here's the other thing that's interesting. So my dad was a sign maker. He made all their signs. So oh. when, they, when they went to, to Japan, 
the 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 striper sign my dad made that and tim was standing out on stage playing the keyboard and he didn't want to do that he could do it but he didn't want to and so uh that's where you know robert's asking me to go on the road with them and i'm like i got two kids I, you know they're little kids man and uh my dad just put me in business making neon signs how am i going to tell him who wasn't a believer at the time he i mean he believed in christ but he really you know how are you going to tell him after soaking part of his retirement to put me in business that I really feel God wants me to do this. And right. so anyways, it just kept going and going and it got to the point where there were 10 major things that were in the way that said, I can't do this um, down to finances, down to everything. And the last one was my dad. Okay. And the day came and I walked in and I said, dad, I said, you know, the guys want me to go on the road with them. He'd already been building their signs and stuff. And uh, I said, this is going to be their first U.S. tour. And uh, he says, you know what? If something like that would have happened to me, my dad would have said, you go and experience that. So he goes, I'll take care of the shop while you're gone. And uh, he goes, you go out and experience this and you go do what, what you feel is right. And so every wall came down every barrier but here's wow. the thing that the other thing that people don't know is when i went out i went for free oh it was total missionary work as far as i was concerned and so my church was helping us and i was saving my per diems every week i, I think i got like 245 dollars a week so i would save that and i would wire it home to my wife every week my per diems whatever i didn't need to eat that week. I had saved it and then I would wire it home, but my church kicked in and they started helping financially to cover my family while I was gone for 10 weeks, the first tour. And at the, uh, the last week of that tour, Robert told me, he goes, Hey, he goes, we made money on this tour. And he says, uh, we want you to know that you're going to have $5,000 check at the end of the, uh, tour waiting for you. So it was like, you know, you walk by faith. And, uh, but I mean, I saw so many miracles happen, uh, back then when I was touring with them, they made me feel like I was a part of the band. I was the unofficial member. The band made me feel that way. Right. Okay. The, the boys. So anyways, but while I was on the road, Evelyn, my wife was working in the office with Patty and, and Darren Hinton and Darren's the one that financially backed them. And uh, so Evelyn would be answering phones, writing uh, letters back to the kids that were asking about Christ. And she would uh, share the gospel with them. And so she was working there while I was working on the road. And so it was it was a great experience. Uh, I came back after 10 weeks on the road. And by the way, the very first show I ever did with them was Magic Mountain, in, uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain in uh, Santa Clarita. And that was like in October. And uh before the first tour and okay. they said uh, you know at, robert had asked me i said well let me do this show and see if i can pull it off if i can then i'll then i'll let you know after that and i walked on stage as soon as the curtain went up i was totally comfortable and by then my dad had made him a giant striper sign with each individual letter and the no six six and the no devil sign and stuff yeah and i was i was still working for my dad when those were made and those are iconic so, signs yeah and no kidding. So anyways, uh, so I ended up going on the road with them, but it was very hard because I loved my wife and I love my children. And I have 10 weeks in my life that I'm not with my wife or I have no memory of my children growing up. And so the next that that tour ended December 13th, 1985. 
Um, and within two months later, we were heading out again for tour number two. And uh, so uh, I did the second tour, but as it started, I didn't want to do it because the, the price that it cost me of not being with my family. And so I actually asked the Lord, I said, I don't really want to do this, but nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. What do you want me to do? This is honest truth. And uh, so anyways, I was waiting for an answer from him. And X amount of shows go by and we're in Sacramento. And this kid walks in the back door and he's, he's friends with them. And I had just met him that day for the first time. And he just was like, uh, dude, I, I admire you so much. And I go, why? He goes, because you got this gig. He goes, man, I'd, I'd love to be in your shoes. And I looked at him and I said, you just never know. <laughs> you know, because I knew I was going to leave. God had already given me permission, but I hadn't even told the band. Right. So, <laughs> excuse me again. <laughs> so a, se a sequence of events were taking place. And I was having problems with the... Uh, the tour manager at the time. And he was just, he used me as a scapegoat for everything. You know, if some kid snuck backstage or got up into the, you know, to and found out what room the guys were in, he would blame me for it, even though I had nothing to do with it, but it was a spiritual clash. And that's the honest truth. Um, the spirit of God versus the spirit he carried. And so anyways, he, he, he was trying to get me thrown off the tour from the beginning of the second tour. And uh, so I, I had to be on my best behavior. You know, I remember Janice telling me because she got a phone call. What'd you do to him? I go, I haven't done anything. <coughs> well, <coughs> and the point was the band wanted him because he was their first tour manager. And mm -hmm. we had uh, the stage manager uh, on the first tr tour with the same guy was Kevin Dugan, who was Michael Anthony's bass tech and is Michael Anthony's bodyguard and friend and Sammy Hagar's to this day. Mm -hmm. And so Doogie, man, love him to death. Still ran into him. I uh, ran into him recently and got to hang out with him at, uh, with Sammy Hagar and, uh, and Michael Anthony. So, uh, which was really fun. Uh, that was about six months ago, but, but anyways, uh, you know, we became friends and, uh, but the, the tour manager, he was just brutal to me. And then I remember we had it out one day because all these kids came and we were in Chicago and, these kids came and they wanted autographs. So I said, listen, I'll take the stuff up. I'll give you auto get you autographs because I loved touching kids' lives, you know. And uh, so anyways, I took all this stuff up and Michael signed it. Everybody in the band, I took it back down. <coughs> Excuse me. And I told the guys, the kids, I said, listen, don't try to find their room. Don't try to do any of that. You'll get me in trouble. And they promised me. Well, the next thing you know, they found out where the room was. Uh -oh. and. And anyways, the tour manager came in ripping me a new one. And I just remember that was like the first time in I don't know how many years that instead of being the one that you just turn the other cheek and keep getting beat and keep getting beat and keep getting beat. And it really was that brutal of, of, of uh, stress that that guy put on my life. And uh, I just remember the, that the, uh, the venue we played was underneath the hotel. We were staying in the penthouse at the top and could take an elevator right down to the stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember him ripping on me. And, I, oh, and while he, before he did that, I'm in the room and Michael's humming this song. Na, 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 da, 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 da. Right? Kind of familiar. Yep. Anyways, he hadn't written it yet. 
And so anyways, he started, it was messing around with it. Cause I roomed with Robert and Michael uh, when I, when I toured. So anyways, uh, when I toured with them. So anyways, uh, I just remember being, uh, down in the, uh, underneath they're doing sound check. The guys are on stage and the tour manager showed up, got right in my face and just, he's taller than me, seven degree black belt. And he's just screaming in my face and he's going to have me sent home. And he's just so loud and belligerent in front of everybody that it got quiet in the room. And all of a sudden I just let go, man. I was cursing back at him. And I said, you don't ever talk to me like that again. And I just ripped him a new one. And they're watching this evangelist that had a dozen cuz just ripping into him. And the whole room got silent. And I, I said, you don't talk to me that way ever again. I walked on, I did sound check. I did that show. I was expected, expecting to get on a plane or fly home the next day. It didn't happen. So we finished the tour and uh with it but at the end of the tour i i was like done you know i didn't i didn't like it anymore and the guys like i said they treated me as one of their own as a bandmate you know but um uh I, they let me go to interviews with them and and the interviewers would would ask them questions and i'd start answering them and it used to irritate us i think more than any of them <laughs> and tim would just smile and michael would laugh you know, um, so anyways, um, so I, you know, going at you, I'm 27 years old, 28 on the second, or not, I'm still 27 years old, uh, even in 1986. And, uh, I mean, I was in the people magazine with them, April of 86, and it shows me praying with them. And, uh, but we did this whole tour with people magazine came on the road with us. And, you know, I was, like I said, I was an evangelist. So that was that was my gift and more than being the keyboardist for the band. Um, but I just knew I wasn't supposed to be on the road. And I think they were a little fed up with me, even, you know, from being in their, uh, um, you know, interviews and, and, and interrupting because, but the fact was they really made me feel like I was a member of the band. So it was right. like, if you got a question to ask, well, let me jump in. Cause I was there when that happened, you know? And so anyways, so, they were talking to Brent Jeffers and he was the guy that had walked in and said, man, I admire you. wish I could have your gig. And I said, and I said, you never know. And he was the replacement stayed with them until after, uh, um, against the law. Okay. So anyways, uh, it was just interesting, but it was like, it was what was supposed to happen. I was supposed to be out of there. So, you know, the fact that they were already like, they were ready to let me go. And part of that, I'm sure they could sense it, the depth of how much I missed my wife, you know, and my children. Uh, so, I mean, everything added up and it was like, I wasn't a good fit to go on and I was grateful that I wasn't, you know? So I stayed home and I raised my kids and uh, uh, was planning on going back on the road as just a band. And John Lennon was the one that named my band, just a band. Just a band. Uh, yeah, because he, he in an interview, he said, well, we were just a band that made it really big. So I always thought, that's it. That's my name. You know, it doesn't matter who I am, you know, but I want to take the presence of God into that vision with me. And uh, so anyways, that's that's my involvement with them until I left. Until Next question. Left. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kenny, that was the first 34 minutes. OK, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> All right. Now, when at the very beginning, had they already done their 
their uh, VHS Striper Live in Japan before you joined with them? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah, because so I, remember, I remember them bringing all the uh, machine guns and stuff back that they used for soldiers under command. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which were just, you know, plastic toys. And then they used those for the covers of uh, when they were sitting on the van and stuff on soldiers. On soldiers, yeah. But when I toured with them, it was the Yellow and Black Attack, Reach Out yeah. Tour, and Soldiers Under Command. So it was those two tours, so 1985 and then 1986. And I was out of the band, I think it was probably May, late April, uh, yeah, May, Mayish, late May. And then they were going to get ready to go on a world tour. And that was another reason why I didn't want to go. You know, they were going to be gone six months at a time. And it's like, no, I can't do that. So that was another one of my decisions, but Brent was the right guy. So God had the replacement in place, right. you know, and whatever, you know, however they felt about me, I was fine with that, you know, you know, but I had already been told by God in my spirit that I was, he was going to release me, but do everything you do unto me while you're on this next tour and then I'll release you. And so he did. He confirmed it in their own lives that, you know, whatever that reason was, it was different from mine, but it was still the same out outcome. And Brent took that place and uh, did a did a great job. Uh, I mean, up until, you know, he left the band, then he started working with uh, um, everybody from Journey, you know, Jonathan Kane and uh, um, Nat King Cole's daughter, Natalie. You know, I mean, and then uh, uh, what, Tim McGraw and, and Faith, uh, I mean, he, he, he's he'd done so much and just I'm proud of him, uh, you know, what he got to do. Um, in fact, you know what, when they were when they were getting ready to go on that world tour, I got a phone call from Michael Sweet and he says, hey, Kenny, can you come over to the house? Kyle and I have something for you. And um, I said, OK, I'll be there in a little bit. And uh, I had been praying and my wife had been praying we needed a car. And uh, because I was riding a motorcycle, she had a car, but one kid went to uh, preschool and the other one had to go to, uh, you know, um, some other, you know, where they babysit the kids. Mm -hmm. So anyways, they were a year apart, 13 months. And so anyways, two different places they had to go and I couldn't put one on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we were praying and I wasn't touring with Striper anymore. And this was 1986 or 87. And Michael called me up and he says, come on over and I'll go over there. And he gave me his his keys to his convertible Cougar that he'd gotten from uh, Darren Hinton. And uh, that was, she was the same one that supported them and financed them and gave them the big van that they used for soldiers. Okay. And uh, she bought their signs. She financed all of that. And uh, so anyways, uh, he gave me that car. And while I was on the road with him, uh, he was rebuilding it. So, I mean, it had the, the very first CD uh, in dash in wow. the world. You know, when they first came out, I mean, this car was beautiful, what he gave me. And so he gave it to me. I had it for, I don't know, about 16 years or so. And I restored it a second time because it had body rot happening all the time because it came over from Hawaii. Sure. That's, that's, and uh, so anyways, I restored it and I gave it to my daughter when she turned 16. But the license plate was 777. Yes, you oh, heard me right. That's awesome. So anyways, uh, but yeah, they gave they gave me a car. It was God's timing on that. Um, still friends with every one of them. So in fact, I talked to Timmy last night, even though he's not with Striper anymore. But, uh, and I saw the guys about four months ago when they were playing out here in Orange County. It was nice to see them. And uh, um, anyway, even Darren, uh, 
notified me yesterday when I got off the airplane that she'd been in touch with them telling them what I was doing for New Year's Eve, which you know about and nobody else mm-hmm. in the world does. Right. But anyways, uh, but they know and they were proud and they've been praying for me. And uh, it was really kind of a miracle night on the way things happened. It was really awesome. I can't right. wait to see how it unfolds. But in the meantime, so evangelistically wise, you know, I was dying um, 19 years ago from an incurable autoimmune disease. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if you had a question about that or not. If you do, go ahead and raise the question. Well, well, I I was going to bring that up and say, just, I'm going to just let you take over. Okay. What what happened, Kenny? Well, okay. So 19 years ago uh, and and prior to that, okay, prophetic words and stuff were, were used a lot in the early days of Striper and how God would move on me and he would share words with me. And those words actually came to pass. Um, in fact, um, well, I don't even need to go there. Um, but anyways, so, uh, I had been, it had been, uh, somebody came up and gave me a word that, um, uh, uh, I was going to be on a stage and I'd be a headliner in Jesus name, but not your traditional evangelist or traditional in any way. Mm-hmm. And, come see a band that when they play, God shows up. Hmm. So that was part of it, okay? But the other part was, you know, um, they, uh, um, I hear the Heavenly Father boasting to the angels about you. And when that part came out, my heart dropped because there's only, you know, one book out there where it said that um, the accuser came and the Father boasted about a man and I'm sure God boasts about many people, but Mm -hmm. instantly I knew Job. And, uh, so anyways, um, it was, uh, 11 years from that prophetic word to the day that, that, uh, every type and shadow started happening. I lost my business. My daughter, her firstborn died in her womb. So I lost my, my kid. I lost my business and then I lost my home and, and uh, we didn't curse God or anything. And then the fourth thing was, well, if you let me touch his flesh, he'll curse you. And that, and so I was stricken with an autoimmune disease, (laughs) excuse me, that there was no cure for. And so it took me to death's door in less than a year and a half. And I was bleeding to death inside and out, open wound sores all over my body. And, uh, no cure for it. And as my wife was wheeling me into the hospital to say goodbye to me, she said, you're not leaving me yet. And when she did that, I mean, I was already fading out. I was, I was a scrawny down to 120 pounds, no strength, no, no will to live anymore because there was just nothing left me. It was so painful. And, and how uh, old are you at this point? 46 years old, 47. Okay. So I just celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary with Evelyn and uh, when that happened and uh, that was in October and by February 6th, I was in the hospital and that's where, (laughs) excuse me, (coughs) that's where uh, the presence of God, when she said, you're not leaving me yet. She spoke it into power. I really believe it was the power of the spoken word and the doctor saw me respond to it. And from that point on, what they started to do started helping me where my body wasn't healing because there was, uh, I talked to the, my, the head doctor and he told me all these years later, 
you know, people would, they would die in the bathtub because it would be bleeding to death. You couldn't wear clothes. Well, that was me the last month of my life oh my God. before I ended up in the hospital. I'm laying on the bathroom floor, bleeding to death. And I couldn't wear clothes because just shrug your shoulders. That little movement would tear the skin off. Hmm. And so uh, if you've ever had a blister on your finger and just popped, you know how painful that is. Imagine your mm -hmm. whole body, your whole body having those from your head to your face, to your neck, to your back, everywhere, in, and in your mouth, and down the throat. So, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> darn bronchial right now. So, anyways, that that is what really happened, and I lived through it, and uh, then it was another 11 years. So what people, when they read the story of Job, you think, well, maybe it was a few months, or maybe whatever, when God restored Job, but, but nothing, because I had to walk through 11 years of, IV treatments and still started putting the show together. It's been on the road for 13 years. I started it 14 years ago. So it's 13 is 14 and a half years old right now. Wow. Uh, anyways. Uh, and so um, that, that whole, that whole production of, of healing was drawn out to where they consider me cured now. Um, but I mean, that was a long process and, uh, they flew me to Washington, DC to give testimony on that. So in the process, three years, muscle atrophy laying in bed out of the hospital, you know, to walk down my driveway 50 feet and walk back up. I was so out of breath. I have to stay in bed for a day or two. And we started this show. So when I started the show, I just basically asked God, I said, listen, I said, my friend has said I could possibly make a living again doing this. And I could play venues like I did when I was touring with Striper. And so um, I just prayed and I really felt peace about doing it. <laughs> Excuse me, but <laughs> I did say to God, I said, I don't ever want to walk on stage without you. Not ever. Yeah. And my whole, my whole thing was just to make people happy, touch their life. Let God be the one that's going to, if he's going to do something, I don't have to preach about it. I used to teach kids when I was a youth pastor for 16 years. Uh, I'd say, hold out your hands and they'd palms up, they'd hold them out. And I'd say, say this, my hands are God's hands extended. And then push your hands out like you're going to touch somebody. Mm -hmm. And I said, because you, he lives in you. So your hands are his hands. And so um, that was the same thing over the vision of this. So I sat down at the piano and I said, okay, God, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to do it without you, but I want to be the best at it in the world. I don't want to do it half-ass. I really said those words, half-ass. He's heard worse. So anyways, <clears throat> about five years after that, <laughs> um, Mark Cuban and Ryan Seacrest found me because they were going to have a brand new show on Access TV called The World's Greatest Tribute Bands. Right. And... And uh, they said, would you like to be on the show season one? We'll give you a one-hour live national broadcast of 40 million viewers. So we took it, walked through the door, and uh, they brought me back on either season four or season five and gave me a 90-minute special to 50 million viewers. <laughs> and But every, every time, every show, everything we've ever done, I've never had to kick a door down. And I see so many parallels to how it was in the days of Striper in their younger years. Because I don't tour with them now, so I don't know how God's doing stuff anymore in their life. But things that I can remember and how it just took off and it just kept going. And the favor that they had is exactly the favor I walk in right now. And the prophetic word over my life, playing for 
thousands of people. I've walked out on stage and there's 20,000 people there and there's no opening band. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, most, you know, it's like, holy cow, the biggest show I ever did with Striper was 12,000 people, Six Flags Over Texas. And that was right. quite amazing. And they went on to play. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> they went on to play bigger venues than that, of course, sure. you know. And records after records after records and, and touching people's lives. And so the vision to, you know, be a light, you know, and, and last night or two nights ago, I told you what I was doing and, you know, holy, holy cow, you know, yeah. what an honor. And I didn't kick that door down either. Right. You know, and, and so to be able to go in and then even say a word to the person whose party it was. Right. And I waited on God for that. And, uh, it was more of kind of a proclamation over his life. Yeah. Kind of amazing. So anyways, uh, I think I sent you the video. So that you, you could share that. You can share that with whoever you want. Just tell them don't post anything about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I called John Lowry of Petra up and John's like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been sharing it with my friends and family and stuff like that. Uh, but I can't post it up for reasons. And right. uh, so anyways. Uh, it's a God thing, but, but the prophetic word to, to perform before thousands. Well, the last few years, my whole thing has been even greater about come and see a band that when they play God shows up and it's not about preaching, but I do share my testimony at the very end. I share what I went through because everybody has pain in their life. Right. Everybody needs hope, you know, and I, it, it's brief. It's no altar call or anything, uh, because I really believe that, um, <clears throat> you know, people used to say, well, you were the guy that saved Striper. And it's like, no, I never saved anybody in my life. I never will take credit for any of that. I was the person that got to witness to them, share the words. But the Holy Spirit was the one that draws them to himself. And salvation comes through Jesus. So they did it all anyway. So, you know, I'm really one of those guys that, that you know, uh, one of the other things I taught the kids were, uh, and you probably heard it in many different ways, but uh, be a witness wherever you go every day. Mm -hmm. And only as a last resort, only if you have to open your mouth. So how do you do that? You love people. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second commandment, if you want to fulfill the law and the prophet, is to is, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the, those two things is, you know, it's not really a big, great oh, list of stuff to do. But loving your neighbors not an, always an easy thing. Right. So no, walking in forgiveness and everything else. Yeah, it, it's very difficult, especially with the world of social media. Yeah, and that's another reason why I don't post up what some of the stuff we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Cancel it, culture it, is 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 evil. It just is. Yeah. You know, uh, when somebody else's opinion uh, shuts you down completely, you know, well, the devil's real. You know, he's afraid. His days are numbered, and we're seeing end time stuff going on. So, you know, I still am one of those guys that. You know, it's really important then when I play because, you know, I'm, I'm portraying Elton John, but I'm not portraying anything other than the music that he was given, the costumes right. that he wore. The 1970s were flamboyant for every kind of band, right. you know, so it, it was all about theater. And what I do is musical theater. I am 
this the uh, the actor. I am the orchestra as well. But when I walk on, I'm in character as that person, you know. So I got to sing and I have to sound like that person. God showed me how to sound like him. And gave me the secret to the voice because I asked him. And so uh, even knowing the secret doesn't mean you could pull it off. So God had to do that. And I actually got a new voice after I came through the whole Job experience. Right. And uh, so right now my big attack is on my chest right now. And, uh, you know, uh, congestion continually for the last, you know, two months. And I think a lot of that has to do with the junk they're spraying in the sky every day. You know, chemtrails and junk like that. No, it's not a conspiracy. It really does. They do spray poison in the sky. So, you know, but though a thousand fall at my right hand and 10,000 at my left, it will not come near me. And I walk in that every day. Uh, I've walked on stage where I've had no voice for two, two weeks solid because I had uh, viral laryngitis and I've had to walk out and do 90 minute show mm -hmm. of some of the hardest songs with some of the highest vocal ranges. And right. you just go out there in faith. It's always a walk of faith. Every time I walk on stage, uh, I got to say two nights ago, I was very nervous <laughs> when I walked on stage and this one, usually when I walk on stage from the minute I'm on stage, I'm okay. But this one took me like 30 seconds, maybe 40 seconds, <laughs> you know, to, uh, you know, to just drop into a comfort zone and then all of a sudden be able to do what I do. But it's musical theater and I'll never break character until the show is over. You know, it'd be, it's like a play. If you're watching a play and the character says, hey, mom, it's me. I'm really not this guy. You know, yeah, kill the illusion. But Alice I've, Cooper's been doing it for years. <clears throat> Yep. And, and I, I get to, uh, I get to make people happy. I see, I see people change. I've, I've actually had people come up. I know who you are. I've seen your testimony online because they look me up, yeah. you know, and they find my stories out there. So the internet didn't exist in the eighties when right. Striper was out there. Um, and you know, now my story's out there and then people post their videos, their pictures, all that stuff. And, uh, it touches people's lives. Well, now I like this guy, and then I want to find out more about him. And as they do, they find out my Job story. They find out I was the kid that was young and toured with Striper. I was the one that witnessed to them about Jesus. And uh, so it's an ongoing thing. But, you know, I just walk carefully before him. Right. That's all I can do, you know. But it's up to him to touch people. So come see a band that when they play, God shows up. That is That is one of the things that... Uh, is means the world to me and I try to walk in that every day so every time I play it I'll, I will go out and I will greet everybody unless there's some time restraint my band will break down everything and I'll go out and I'll take pictures with everybody you know and let God impart to them as I touch their life it's up to so, him so, something I gotta know I, I, you've played for some pretty prestigious people <clears throat> Okay. Have you ever played for Elton John or met Elton John yet? Hmm. Okay. I met Elton John in 1977 when I graduated high school okay. <laughs> um, at Disneyland. And okay. he, was uh, he was dressed in, in the same outfit that was written up about him in a cartoon in the book on uh, the, uh, Captain Fantastic album. Okay. And so I recognized him and I ran because he had already passed me. I ran five rows over and then ran way up in front of him and then turned around and walked back casually and just asked him if I could shake his hand. But all these years later, I never wanted to embarrass him with this show, right. you know, and <coughs> excuse me, 
And so anyways, um, we play places like Gurry Hills, Thousand Oaks, Hollywood area. And you run into people that they're all friends with Elton or they're friends with somebody in his band and they saw me play and they videotaped it and they sent it off to that band member. And um, so anyways, uh, a lot of that happens all the time. And uh, this last year, even uh, Matt, Matt um, Bissonette, the bass player for Elton, uh, his brother Greg plays with Ringo on his sure. all-star band. And Greg yeah. tours with everybody, but Greg saw me playing in Thousand Oaks and he, he comes up, he wants to meet me. And I had met him at Nam last year and he didn't remember until I told him where it was. Ah. <laughs> but he, he, he comes up to me because we're going to do two sets. The second set, he says, he comes up and he goes, hi, my name is Matt Biss or Greg Bissonette. And I go, no, I know who you are. And I tell him, and he's like blown away. He goes, hey, he goes, I've been sending video to my brother. He's like in Brazil right now with Elton. And so I'm thinking, oh, poor guy, man, he's going to wake up and have more of this <laughs> stuff. And uh, and so my neighbor that lives down the hill from me, because I'm living up the hill from where Striper used to live, I inherited my parents' house. And uh, so I live here now where I grew up. And um, anyways, this neighbor, he's friends with Kim, the keyboard player, and he's known him for years. And so a month earlier, before that Thousand Oaks show where Greg runs into me, um, you know, me and my neighbor take a picture and he sends it off to Kim. So the day before I play, you know, it's a month later, day before I'm playing and Greg Bissonette's going to meet me. I'm, I run into him right at my show. Well, the neighbor says, oh, yeah, Kim sent a note back, says, oh, yeah, everybody in the band knows who Kenny is, including Elton. Oh, that's incredible. So that was one validation. And another one that came was uh, um, my, my cousin went and uh, he was invited to go to, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? He was, he's the lead singer of Eagles of Death Metal. And that band, um, they, were, uh, they were the band that was in Paris like 10 years ago. And when, when excuse me, when when the when the building got shot up, yes. and the band escaped out of the roof, and then they burned the place down with people inside. Yes. So that lead singer, my cousin, goes to his house. He was invited, and he he, he went back a few times, but he asked yes that he he was in there, and he had a pinball machine decking hanging on his wall, Captain Fantastic, or the Pinball Wizard, you know. Yeah. And or it might have been Captain Fantastic. Anyways, uh, so he goes, I got to have that for my cousin. He goes, why? And he says, well, my cousin is an Elton John tribute. So he asks him who, who it is. And he tells him my name. He goes, oh, I know who he is. And my cousin goes, yeah, right. And he goes, no, really. He said, Elton invited me to the studio when he was working on an album. And I went inside. And, and when I got there, he was watching Kenny. So he took the, the pinball decking off his wall, gave it to my cousin. My cousin had it for about six months before he ran into me gave it to me and he tells me that story. Well, I run into J Jesse. Um, oh, what's Jesse's last name? Um, I'll look it up real quick. Hang on. Um, but anyways, uh, so I run into Jesse, the lead singer at the NAM show. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, did you used to have, uh, you know, such and such pinball machine decking? He goes, yeah. And I said, um, you gave it to this guy whose cousin was a uh, Elton John tribute and he goes yeah i go that's me he goes oh my gosh it was a true story <laughs> and so anyways i told him what my cousin had told me that he had 
said and he validated it was all real. He goes, well, let me tell you something about that pinball machine decking because I was at Elton's house and Elton had it on his wall <clears throat> and he was, he was selling his house in Los Angeles and they oh, were packing man. stuff up and Elton wasn't there anymore. And he goes, I had to spend two weeks hanging out and uh, talk his uh, crew into letting me have it. So you actually own Elton John's pinball decking. That's I think I think I think his name was Jesse Hughes. Yeah, Jesse Hughes. Yeah, that sounds familiar now that you say that. <clears throat> so Eagles of Death Metal. But yeah, so you know, many, many uh things that have happened that are just you know, I know that Elton knows who I am. Uh in fact, uh, two years ago we had Caleb Quay playing with us at the La Mirada Theater for two right. nights. And we called Caleb and asked him, Would you call and see if Davy Johnstone would join us for closing night so we could have the two of you on stage and just mm. let you guys have fun and rip and we'll be your backing band i'll sing only when i have to you know and i what a treat that would be but he was he was getting ready to leave within the week to go to europe for the last of the beginning of the tour after covid shut everything down right for the uh, farewell but he says let me give you a rain check so we have a rain check from davy uh so when we get a nice venue that we're happy with, and we're going to bring him and Caleb in and uh, just do something fun. And, and for those of you who don't know, Caleb was Elton John's original <clears throat> guitar player. Yes. Wow. Oh, you're actually talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I try to sneak in a word now and then. It's not well, see, easy. Right. It's, this is just like what it was like when I was touring with the band. I had the answer right there. Let me just talk to you about it. And, and that's totally cool. Now, back to the Striper days, because I got to ask this. Do you have a favorite Striper song that you played? Let's see. Because hmm. you, you did some great stuff. Well, yeah, Yellow and Black Attack and Soldiers and, and Reach Out was one of them. But, um, I mean, when we played First Love, I killed that song one night with about 8,000 people in the Norman, Oklahoma sports arena. And uh, I, when I say I killed it, I mean, I really killed it. Uh, I, it was like, you know uh, what DSL is compared to dial up mm -hmm. and, you know, all of a sudden it freezes. Well, yeah. it's time, to, it's time to start that song. And, I, and there's, there's stories I put out there. It was my gig from hell that day because I start, all I know is that first level was in the key of E and I hit the yeah. first note or something. And then I, it was complete blank oh, and Michael wow. and I, I played every chord wrong. <laughs> I'm not oh, kidding. No. I played every chord wrong and Michael sang perfect pitch, kept going straight through. And Oz is on the opposite side of the stage from me. And he's plunking his guitar with the chord, trying to drag me back in. And it, and it was the first minute of me just hitting everything wrong until it went your first love. Boom. The drums come in and it was like DSL just <laughs> opened up again in my brain. Went, and I knew where I was again in the song, but I mean, <clears throat> they never said a thing to me. They were kind to me about it. And uh, the thing was, the record company was there when that happened. Yeah. Uh, monster stage and 8,000 people in this sports arena. You know, walls, speakers on both sides. Just crazy. But, I mean, <laughs> uh, back in those days, the dummy cabinets that they had for the speakers, I helped build sure. those. Um, yeah. Me and uh, Robbie Vandenberg made those with Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Now's the time to get something in while I'm coughing. Well, well anyways, the uh, you know my my wife and I had together as one played at our wedding, 
Oh yeah, no, I had to I had to um, be on stage for that one, but I actually didn't get to. I never played it because they they had um, Van Tongren, uh, his his piano track. Okay. On one side, uh, I could have played it, but it had all these extra vocals in it that they wanted, and yeah. so, um, anyways. <clears throat> I was in charge. I had like 10, 10 of those tapes, a hundred of them. And I would give one to the sound engineer every day at every show. But we played one show theater in the round. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They were all the way around us. It was, uh, and so I just, I knew how to play it, but I just muted my keyboard and walked through it, fingering it, <laughs> but I still had to sing, you know, with everybody. But I mean, that was the only one that I really never played. Um, but uh, of the other stuff, man, Soldiers Under Command was always great. Um, we did a show uh, in San Diego. It was really, it was a dark theater, man. And nothing but heavy uh, thrash metal, uh, satanic bands were playing there all the time. And we walked in and you could feel the oppression. It right. was super strong. And I got really sick. And I'm off stage and they're walking into... Uh, um, the the battle hymn of the republic getting on stage and mm -hmm. you know and they start playing it and as soon as that was done robert hits the cymbals and they go right into um come on rock and as soon as come on rock hit the presence of god filled the place and i'm telling you every evil spirit just went out of that place now my aunt at the time was doing tarot cards and all kinds of weird junk and mm -hmm. she could feel it when she walked in because she was a guest that night. Yeah. She could feel the oppression. And she confirmed later that as soon as they started that second song, it lifted. Wow. She, she, and so and it was a, one of those real things. But that kind of stuff happened all the time. I just remember Robert looking at me from the side of the stage. And I'm like shaking, man. It was so heavy, the, the evil, you know. But many, 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 many wonderful miracles happened when I toured with them. And they continue to have those miracles through the years. And, uh, you know, God still uses them today. Yeah, still uses them today. And, <clears throat> yeah. And just, 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 just to give people a little quick, quick history. I met Kenny back in 2000. Striper Expo. At, at the Striper Expo. And... Uh, I was just reminiscing with my with my buddy Ron Brown uh, before I called you, and you know it's it's hard to think back twenty four years ago, Kenny. <laughs> it's been that long. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. shoot. From that hookup, we became friends, and and you you were helping me when I was putting yeah. the show together get get music gear from wireless microphones to in ear yeah. monitor systems, and and uh, you connected me with your company, and your the owner was like, yeah, let's do this. Because I was actually playing the same kind of stage as Striper was. And so yeah. we actually had a following, you know, for a tribute. And uh, that's one of the craziest things is, you know, Striper taught me how to, how to market the band, you know, from a standpoint of branding yourself and things like that and the importance of it. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the few tribute bands out there. I'm endorsed with Ernie Ball. I'm endorsed with the piano company that made my shell. And mine was the very first shell ever made in the world. I named it a grand illusion and he went into business as grand illusion piano shells. Um, and, but I mean, um, guitars, Eastwood guitars. I mean, all these different companies. If you go on my page, Kenny Metcalf, 
as Elton or eltontheearlyyears.com, either one of those. They link right in it. And you'll see the long list of, of the companies that, I mean, serious endorsements, you know, Anvil, Calzone, road cases, everything is in these. I have, you know, to, that protect it when we fly out or we drive out or anything, you know, I mean, serious gear because, you know, we're one of the few that get that kind of uh, attention. We were on TV. Uh, the big, oh, and by the way, the biggest audience I ever played for was um, 220 million people. And I was interviewed when Elton received some award in, uh, in Paris uh, mm-hmm. from the, 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 whoever the, I don't know, they have a prime minister or whatever they have. But anyways, he got the highest award. And so BBC contacted me because they had 22 nations that they they go to. And uh, I was they gave me all these lists of stuff. And I I did this interview over the phone to see if they wanted to use me. There were supposed to be a total of seven people. Well, they blew off everybody else, came back, and none of the questions they asked me were in the interview. But I ended up uh, doing this long interview with them. And then they had me sing Rocket Man and faded out. And that was in the loop for, I don't know, how many weeks. Every hour, it was somewhere in the world playing. And uh, so anyways, you know, just like I said, the doors that that open, it's amazing because I didn't open those doors. Um, One of the guys that brought Elton over to play the Troubadour for the very first time, he came up to me um, a few years back and I was playing at a park in, in uh, outdoor park in Hollywood. And he came up and he goes, hi, my name is Rick Frio. And he goes, I'm one of the three people that worked for uni records. And we brought Elton to play the Troubadour for the very first time. And he goes, 45 years ago, he said, I saw Elton for the first time. And he goes, I saw him again tonight. And I, I get, I've been blessed with a lot of that. And you'll see, if you go on my website, there's a whole thing about, you know, the kudos or whatever, and the people that have written them, but I mean, the people that were there, that's the, that's the highest honor, you know, is to get those things. So, so if if you guys want to keep up with Kenny, I think the easiest way is probably just head over to uh, Kenny, Kenny Metcalf as Elton on Facebook. Facebook or uh, go to my webpage. You know, yeah. it's it's Kenny Metcalf as Elton dot com or Elton the early years dot com. They both hyperlink to the same place. They can put uh, they can see my event calendar where I'm going to be uh, links to see the videos of, you know, that fans put up. Most of the stuff that's out there on YouTube are just yeah. the people that came to the show. So what you see is really what you get. We don't doctor our yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah, ch- check it out because I, I've, I haven't witnessed it yet. <clears throat> A Kenny as Elton concert per se, but I have witnessed Kenny play Elton at NAMM shows. And you just sit back and you go, come on. <laughs> and, uh. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's Kenny. He's, I, I'm going to pump the ego. Yeah, he's that good. Okay. So. <laughs> You're funny. That's funny. Uh, well, you know what? I try not to have ego. I really, uh, seriously, I, I've come to understand it's not about me. So well, uh, and, that, and that's I, the and that's the total cool thing about you because you you know what's not about you here's the vehicle, yeah, and, and you know how to drive the vehicle. It's it's all it's all about who you know. Said that for many years. Yeah, it's about him. That's right. And that's and and is. and you know what? Before I have before I go out for shows, man, because my whole vision and everything for it has been to see God touch people's lives and i don't have to like i said i don't have to preach at them and i i've had people 
bawling their heads off because they were, they were overcome with, uh, you know, flooded with emotion and stuff because yeah. God shows up. It's not me. And I'm honest with that, but it's not a religious show. Striper wasn't right. either, right. <clears throat> you know? So yeah. if God's going to touch somebody, he's going to touch them. I, I'm, I'm not one of those that going to push anybody to the floor, hit them in the head, knock them down, receive this. You know, I don't do that. I never, I never have. Don't believe in it. Just, you know, not that I'm not knocking it, that it doesn't really happen, honestly. But, you know, I just seriously, I, I was given a gift, given a second chance at life, uh, given back my family, everything. Uh, and then all of this. And I get to do it and make people happy and that. And I get attacked for it spiritually yeah. before every show. I mean, I'm telling you, I got back from doing what I did. The, you know, I'm sneezing on the plane on the way home, knowing that uh -oh, something's coming now. But yeah. something always now I have three more days until I have to sing again. So, yeah. you know, uh, I didn't blow this interview off because it's gotten postponed so much. You would have probably let me. But, you know, I just know that when I show up, no matter what I'm going through, that God's spirit is going to touch me and I'll make it through it. And I'm telling you, I've sang at times where I didn't think I sounded like Elton at all. And I was ashamed, you know, you know, for not, you know, giving the people what they paid for. And I, I walked off and people are like, Oh my gosh, I've seen Elton 20 times. You just blew me away. I love this. And it was like, are you kidding me? Didn't you hear that frog up there? It, and it's like, that's, but he shows up. So I'm not going to sound like Elton unless he shows up is my real attitude about this. So oh, I want to touch on two more things before I let you go. Nope. First off, I, <laughs> first off, I want to say, first off, I want to say thank you for a friendship that you brought to me when you introduced me to Mark survey. Oh man. Yeah. I love Mark. You're yeah. welcome. Thank you. I'm honored, truly. I, no. I met Mark at NAM because of you. And, yeah. uh, and he became a, an instant friend. He had that personality, didn't he? And, uh, yeah, I was crushed when he died. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, know, I know you were. Yeah. Well, he, I, I've known him since I graduated high school. Right. 1977 we played in so many different bands together so yeah it was uh it was not an easy thing to lose mark yeah mark mark was the guy and a half but yep. uh, the 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 one question that i ask everybody who's on my podcast i yeah. of course am am santa rob because you know and being yeah. santa i get to you know i get to fulfill wishes and stuff so yeah anybody Dead or alive, if you could pick somebody to play with, who would it be? Well, you know what? That's a good question. Um, dead or well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am um, responsible for having one of Elvis's jumpsuits torn up, 1970. Nice. Uh, when he was playing at the uh, um, International Hotel, which became the Hilton International, and then it became the Westgate in Vegas. Um, mm -hmm. But I was I was 11 years old, and uh, a porter. I, I was seventh row center. Saw Elvis, and uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, I was out in the lobby, and 
standing behind a rail because she couldn't go down where everybody was gambling. And I saw Porter coming with Elvis's jumpsuit on his arm. And I was just so excited that I saw it. I, I wanted my mom to see it. And I yelled as loud as I could across the casino, Mom, look, it's Elvis's jumpsuit. And every woman in the place went running at that guy. And they started tearing it up. It really happened. My mother, my mother has, has confirmed that story um, a year, to all my friends a year before she passed away. And uh, so that really happened. So Elvis, I think. I think that's a, 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 an awesome choice. And I'm a little shocked you didn't say Elton, but I understand why. Well, you know what? I play his music all the time. If it ever happens, it'll be a gift. But, yeah. you know, I, um, I mean, I didn't even know that I was going to be playing his music. But he was the reason right. that inspired me to change. And when I did uh, change music, um, you know, from drums too. But when I did meet him at Disneyland when I was 18 in 1977, I, I walked up to him and I said, uh, real casually, I said, I just really appreciate your music. Can I shake your hand? You, you, you were the reason I switched from being a drummer. And uh, he was very kind, very humble at the time. And uh, I haven't met him since. But to know that he knows who I am and cool. approves of the way I do his music. He's got other people. He's other, there's other Eltons out there, other tributes. Sure. And, and he's friends with them, you know, or he's sure. seen them. The guy that was in his movie, Rocket Man, he's out of Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, he was the body double. But he actually, you know, he's a tribute too, uh, yeah. as well to Elton. So Elton has endorsed him because he was in Elton's movie. Right. So, but I mean, I got to meet him and it's, you know, as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, there's so much room out there for so many other tributes, um, sure. you know, that do Elton John. I'm not threatened by it because when the day comes and I don't do this anymore, you know, I'll be happy because I got to do this. But I mean, I've, I've, I've played more shows as Elton John than I did when I toured with Striper and Striper, man, those two, those two tours of 20 weeks, um, I played a uh, hundred shows with them, wow. you know, but that, those were stellar, you know, you're standing on stage and Timothy is right in front of me. I'm on the side of the stage facing, you know, the middle, you know, facing the stage. And then Robert's right there up, mm -hmm. uh, up to the left of my vision, you know, and there's Michael in the middle and Oz was on the far side. They flipped their, their layout now, but uh, either way, um, to have done that, I'll always be honored always grateful that I got to be a part of it. Cause I, that was never my uh, actual thing to, to go on the road. That was just another God thing that I got to do. Yeah. So I'm doing something right now that a lot of people don't understand, but it's not about me and it's just about God showing up. And if he shows up, he can draw anybody. I mean, on the road to Damascus, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right. God can touch anybody he wants and he doesn't need my help. But he does like to use us, you know? Oh, last question. Then I'm going to let you okay. go. I asked you what your favorite Striper was song to play. What's your favorite Elton John song to play live? Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. It's I love that pick. It, it's 11 minutes long, and we play it note for note. I mean, and, you know, we go on stage, man. I've got, it's just like Striper. They go on stage. They don't have lyric sheets in front of them. Uh, all the years that I played music in church, uh, we always had charts in front of us all the time, right? And even when I was touring with Striper, I got off the road, I'd be back in church playing there. I never, I, because they were, you're reading a chart, it's not committed to memory. 
But every, every one of these songs, they're all committed to memory. So I'll go out and we'll play 11 minute song. I'm not flipping pages or anything. You know, my brain is automatically telling my body what to do, but I'm, I've been having a wonderful time uh, playing, playing his music. Uh, we did the entire Yellow Brick Road one time at a at, uh, Orange County Fair from beginning to end. And it's, you know, two records, right. double, double-sided, you know, um, learn that. That's the, the quality of musicians that I get to play with. They are amazing. These guys, they're, they're, they're the third generation and they've been with me now for, I think it's nine years. It just flipped into nine years, the beginning of the ninth year now. So you, you, uh, just, you just gave me another flashback. Oh, okay. Go ahead. You just, you just gave me another flashback. <clears throat> I've only seen Elton John once in concert. I've never seen him in concert. I, I saw him in concert when I lived in Salt Lake City. That was in another lifetime. Wow. But I saw, I saw the jump up tour. Was Caleb with it? What, what year was that? Oh, uh, boy. That would have been 80. 80. Um, let's see. Caleb was with him. 75, 76, 77, 78. So Caleb was already gone. They had already done the Rock of the Westies and stuff like that. So different band after that. They opened up with Funeral for a Friend, Love Last Meeting. <laughs> but, but Elton came out wearing the Donald Duck outfit. Oh, yeah. I swore I'd never wear the duck. And that's what I'm waiting for you to wear. Never gonna happen. But they say, <laughs> but they say, never say never, right? Um, hey, you impressed me when you got on the pinball wizard uh, boots. You know, I made those. I know you did. You've pretty much made everything <clears throat> that you wear, though. Yeah, I've actually had to cut out the the glasses because some of them you can't get. But I grew up in a sign shop, so I made them, honed them out so I could put prescriptions in them. And, uh, but I mean, same thing, the, the pinball wizard boots, we made those because we we're going to be on access TV world's greatest tribute bands. And I was going to guest appear in the who tribute, uh, the who generation tribute. And, uh, so instead of making them full size, three feet tall, I would have been so far in the rafters at the whiskey, a go-go that it wasn't practice practical. So I made them at 20 inches high and then I still stand in them and it was still kind of up there, you know, yeah. in, in just below the, you know, the lighting bars and stuff. But, um, but no, yeah, to make everything and uh, be a part of all that stuff, con constructing it and what, a, you know, all the things, man, that my dad taught me and I'm using it now. That's awesome. But Danny, anyways, you, you, we, we could go on forever and ever and ever. Okay. Hey, yeah, every, let's go. Every, Keep going. Everybody needs to look up Kenny, whether it's on his website or on Facebook and check out his videos, see where he's playing. I'm still waiting for an Indianapolis show. I was close to you. I was close to you this year. Where, where were you? Uh, I was in. Uh, let's see. Well, I was in the windy. Uh, I was in. Uh, let's see. I was in Illinois. You were. You, you played Chicago, didn't you? Uh, just no, it was Chicago. It was, yeah, we're well. It was still close. To, we were supposed to play Indianapolis, uh, and that didn't happen. But There's yeah, so. I, I don't know the artist that plays here, but there's a, there's a couple guys who do the Elton Billy Joel thing. And every time I see that, I'm going, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going oh. to that unless, unless Kenny's in it. No, that's, that would be Michael Santoro, who I played with, and his, uh, his, uh, his buddy that does an Elton John. But I, I sub for that guy when he can't make it. But we've cool. had uh, Michael Santoro come out here with the, and my band becomes his band. When I fly out there, his band becomes my band. You know, that's they awesome. learn the material and stuff like that. 
but no, great guys. And uh, like I said, there's plenty of room out there. I'm just going to do this as long as I can and until I fulfilled what I'm supposed to do. Well, and, you know uh, I'm one-sided. Well, yeah, but are we talking <laughs> a profile side or the which way am I looking at the one side? Hey, three-dimensional, <clears throat> baby, three-dimensional. But, <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. This went a whole lot longer than, uh, than I thought it would. And well, you said I this just, was the – you said this was the first show of the year, right? It, it is. You know, but, but what's cool about this is the last show of, of last year was, was Randy Stonehill. And, oh, that's and, awesome. And it went, it went for a full 90 minutes, and we're almost at that point right now. Well, if you want to go for a, a couple more hours, you won't have to have another show, for, and you'll have plenty for the rest of the year. I would just have to call you back and we'll just do show after show. It'll be the slaying it with Santa and Elton show. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. But, well, I, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time out to do this. This, this is what a, what a great way to start the year. And I appreciate it that you thought of me to do this. And uh, to all of your listeners, um, you know what? Do everything to your best ability every day. That's all, you know, some days will be good. Some days won't. Sometimes you're going to have to face junk that you don't want to do. And uh, those are hard days, but you come through it. And uh, then there's other days that'll be just spectacular. No matter what, what your, uh, um, you know, vocation is that you do. Um, I mean, I saw, I met somebody the other day and just to close with this thought, you know, and he knew what I was doing and who I was going to be playing for. And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, I'm just a plumber. And I thought to myself, I went, no. And I said something to him. I go, that's, that's really a great profession. You know, d don't demean yourself over that because I'm an entertainer. It's like, you know, you do something that everybody needs, you know, you're, 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 you know, so it's the same thing with any, any vocation. If you just make yourself, you do the best, you, you dedicate yourself to that. That's the important thing, you know, yeah. and if you got God in your life as well, you know, he, he breathes on it. Doesn't mean you're not going to live Job's experience once in a while, or you know, you just never know. But he's faithful to bring you out of it all. Yeah, you're doing it for him. Yeah. yeah. And and yep. you know, there there may be there may be junk in your life that it will clear up. So, yeah. So yep. you know, Kenny, once again, thanks a million. I, I wish I was coming out to Nam, but I think those days are done. But. Yeah, I'm on the road during now. I, I, I'm only going to be there uh, early in the morning on Thursday and maybe if I'm lucky to get back in time for closing on Sunday. But I did arrange for Caleb Quay, uh, Elton's original guitarist. He's going to be in Anvil's booth this year and uh, on Saturday at one o'clock. So any of you going to Nam, Saturday at one o'ock, Anvil Road cases and uh, Calzone Anvil. And he's going to be signing his book Louder Than Rock. And you can you can also if you want to see the documentary of Caleb Quay, it is on uh, Prime, uh, Amazon Prime. It's on you know a bunch of different networks. So you can just type it in on your smart TV, louder yep. than rock, and see the documentary. He shows how he was the one that named Elton Elton. Um, he, he's 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 the one that discovered Elton. He's the one that signed Elton to his very first recording deal. And he's the one that did Elton's first album. And then he's the one that played on seven of Elton's albums and toured with him when he did the, the 1975 Dodger Stadium tour. But it was when he was done with that tour 
that that he was he went on to play with Hall and Oates. And on his 40th birthday, uh, God spoke to him and said, Caleb, from this day, your life's never going to be the same. And he went from being the most wanted session player to get no work. And uh, a little bit of time goes by and struggles and everything else. And all of a sudden he hears that same voice again. But he heard a voice in that hotel on his birthday. And I mean, Caleb lost everything. And now, you know, it's tremendous what he's done. So go look up the movie, Louder Than Rock. Do yourself a favor, check it all out. Kenny, I'm going to let you go. Thanks again. I'll be talking to you again soon. And God bless you, brother. This has been the best. God bless you too. Thanks for letting me uh, ramble on. Ramble on. (laughs) Anytime. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. All right. That was, uh, that was beyond awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Kenny Metcalf for taking uh, 90 minutes out of your day to uh, talk to me and give us a little history lesson in uh, Striper, the early days. Your testimony is unbelievable. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call you my friend. So anytime you want to jump on and uh, share a little bit more with, uh, with the listeners, feel free to give me a call and we'll make it happen. And uh, thank you guys for hanging in there and, and listening. And as always, thanks to my awesome sponsors, uh, BSC Enterprises. That's Brett Christmas Mustache Wax, BSC Enterprises, the home of Santa Rob Mustache Wax. Use that discount code Santa Rob and save yourself 15% on your order. And of course, my good buddy, uh, Brad White at HotspotCollectiblesAndToys.com. If you're into collecting things, video games, Star Wars stuff, Star Trek stuff, whatever, Brad's got it. Head over to his website, HotspotCollectiblesAndToys.com. Use discount code Santa Rob save 15% there. You never know who's going to be in the sleigh with Santa Rob. I got the feeling 2024 is going to be an interesting year for the podcast. And uh, thank you for being a part of it. So we'll catch you next time on Slaying It with Santa Rob.